Hello, and welcome to the No Good Poetry Podcast. Each week we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of poetry. This is episode 42 with... Joseph Makos and... Joseph Bievenen. This is the good, bad, and the ugly, isn't it? Some ugly shit out there, kids. Let's make the world safer for poetry. So here we are back on St. Claude again, uh, this episode, and we actually have dialed in with us a uh, international call. Uh, Mark, where exactly are you right now? I'm in Oaxaca de Juarez, Oaxaca, Mexico. <laughs> Great. Okay, so I'm so. in southern Mexico. I'm about as almost as far south in Mexico as you can get. Yeah. So you're at the, you're like the southern tier of the so you're the southern tier of the northern hemisphere. Yeah. 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 How, how many miles? Do you know how many miles from the equator you are? No, but not not far, not far. I mean, where you know, I'm just. I mean, the next. So you got one state. Oaxaca is the state, and then the next state over is Chiapas, and the next state, and the next place over, is um, Guatemala. So you know, we're right at Central America. So we've got Mark Statman calling in today. From Oaxaca, uh, Mark is a poet, translator, has been an a educator for many years, and I got to meet Mark and really like crack open an awesome friendship with Mark uh, in Montevideo at the uh, Mundial Poetica uh, this year. And we, we had a lot of good conversations and observed a lot of international poetry. And uh, I have to say that the one thing that you really helped me with as a poet was sort of like letting go into understanding poetry of a language that is not yours. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you, you helped me understand how to let go. Wow. That's that's a wonderful thing to have done. How did I do that? Exactly? <laughs> I, I actually think it was through a few different ways. One way through just participating in the community of the mm-hmm. people and just, you know, your body language with people and observing that and, and understanding that and that are just participating in it. Uh, and then also being attentive, like there was this sort of way that you could really be attentive at the sort of different spaces that we were listening to those poetry, this poetry in. Right. And then the way that you also, the way that you read your own work and the way that you were able to like relate your work into that world. And that took patience and courage and sort of self-effacing moments and with the ability to sort of move in and out of that those worlds. So it's like code switching. Right. right. No, that's a really good, that's a really interesting thing to think about because, you know, this was my second year being at the Mundial, right? Which um, Martin Bure Matos, who I've translated, um, I did his, we, his book, Never Made in America. Uh, it's a, a translation collection that comes out of two of his books and um, that's, that was published by Bill Lavender, um, Lavender Inc. Dialogos. 
and it le- just last year in, in April uh, 2017. And and so Martine and I have gotten to know each other um, fairly well. He came to New Orleans last year for the launch of the book for the New Orleans Poetry Festival, and and so and and he and I just have developed this very very strong friendship, which is you know nice with a poet who's you know a lot younger than than, than me. I mean, he's more than <laughs> twenty on. years younger. Yeah, yeah, he's twenty years. Old. He's Martine is what thirty eight, thirty seven. And I'm I'm going to be sixty in May, believe it or not. <laughs> it's uh-huh. hard for me to understand. But 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 Martin, you know, he's been running the Mundial now for this is the second year of it, and so a lot of the poets that were there, right, like the Brazilians that we got to hang out with, were so yeah. much fun. The, the the two Pedros and Amora Pera, and yeah. uh, you know, and then there was um, uh, Juan from from uh, from. Gosh, is it, where, where's is he, is he from? Chile. Um, I mean, there are so many different poets from so many different places, and this was the, and 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 some of them were repeats from last year, and some of them were new. So, partly, you know, when you talk about my being able to do that, um, a little bit it was because a lot of these were poets that I already that I knew, and we started, and once we got to know each other last year, when we think about poetry communities. Because I know that that's something you're interested in. We started doing that, you know. We, st- we stayed in touch, right? We kept, you know, we kept in, we kept writing to each other and 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 cluing each other in on different things that were going on. Um, I also last year got to collaborate with Santiago Santiago Marquez, who's a wonderful poet or a painter rather, and we actually did a collaboration that was part of the the Mundial last year. Uh, it was it was part of an exhibition of, of poetry. Art collaborations. I think there were four. I think there were four artists and four poets who worked together, and it was really, really cool. I he sent me his work um, to look at. I thought about it a lot. I wrote a series of very small poems that I then sent to him, which he then responded to artistically. Sent me that stuff. I revised the poems based on what he had done to sort of not to sort of make them like cohere, but just to say, where's the dialogue between the visual and the, and the verbal. Mm-hmm. So, 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 so that community started, you know, that was like a lot of that was Martine bringing together a lot of different poets from all over the, the world. Right. Last year was, or in 2016, it was, po- it was, it was kind of the same thing. It was, it was poets from all over South America, poets from the United States poets from Europe and then the same thing this past year although there was also the Vietnamese poet um who was who was kind of interesting um to 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 talk to so there so 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 in a certain sense uh, that openness that you're talking about comes from that setting right that Martine set up where not it wasn't just that you came in and gave a reading and then left which I think we've all done Sure. You know, you, you're 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 invited to do something you read and then you go away or you you stay and 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 get drunk and then go away. <laughs> um, but but in, in the case of what Martine did, you know, we all read every night and we all got to hear each other read every night. And so not only did we get to like share that space of, you know, reading our work and hearing each other's work, but we kind of had to hear each other's work over and over because because we were there for, for our own our own readings. And, and, and you know, so you get it just to say, and, and we all knowing that we were reading different things on different nights, we got to read differently on different nights. Yeah. So that, you know, we got to 
like think about what is it I want to do tonight? What is my, what do I want to do tomorrow? And everyone else is doing the same kind of things. I mean, it's like, um, Joe, you did that. You showed one night you had your, your stuff up on the, on a screen, right? One night Amora um, sang, right? Yeah. I mean, there were just diff- different people were doing different things, you know, just in different ways. One night, you know, Martine and I just, you know, we just read from Never Made in America. One night I read from a couple of Mexican poets who whose work I, I really appreciate. So, you know, we just get to do different things. We got to do different things at different times. And that opened things up, too. For, you know, and 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 also because because everyone was because it was such a mishmash of languages, right? You had Portuguese, you had Spanish, you had English, you had French. Yeah, I mean, I mean every everybody was kind of messing around with everyone else's languages, and and sometimes like we'd have conversations and no one knew what the hell anyone was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but we were yeah. all having a good time together and establishing the fact that as poets, we have a lot to say to each other. Um, about poetry and about the world, you know, just the things we're doing. So when you say that, I think that you were entering into, it wasn't me exactly. It was a, it was a larger group that I just happened to, you know, know a little better than you did. And now, you know, is, you know, just as well as I think, you know, them better because you were out till four o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and I'm an old man. I had to get some sleep. <laughs> Did I just like give away something here? <laughs> no. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> it's true. I'm not going to deny it. Yeah. Yeah. But I think I think the larger thing is that what it talks to is the idea that you know, as poets we we kind of, you know, we need to work alone because that's how we do things. You know, I you know, I, um I remember when I was younger um reading at <laughs> at um you know, not reading, but writing poems. I would, you know, get get under the the a table at a party and and just sit there and, and write because it seemed like a fun thing to do. And in fact, yeah. I was just I was in New York in October and um and I, I was giving some readings um and and this one um, poet Barbara Field who was a poet who I went to college with. I hadn't seen her since we were in college, so this is. You know, or, or since Catherine and I got married, which was in 1982. So, so this is, you know, we're talking 35 years. I haven't seen her, but we both remembered being at a party together and, and collaborating on a series of poems. <laughs> um, so, you know, this is, so this is one of those things that starts very early, I think, in one's life. Like you start to yeah, yeah. meet people, but usually we work alone. We work, we don't work, we don't write at parties often, or if we collaborate, you know, it's a very, unusual thing to do as opposed to normal thing to do. And I think that the communities we get that we, I think we really need, we need those folks who we work off, you know, and who work off us and who, you know, without saying we have a common vision for what poetry does or should be, we share a common vision that poetry does do things and should be. And I think that's kind of important. Yeah. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> and maybe I mean maybe it's good we don't have a common vision because that's part of what makes it interesting to work with other people because they don't yeah. have the exact same ideas exactly. you do. <laughs> no, exactly. And if you think about if you think about like the great, you know, like like the the more, you know, sort of I'm always like a little cautious, wary, whatever you want to say about like talking about like movements in contemporary poetry because I don't mm-hmm. think we I don't think we have any like 
like like we can sort of like talk about what they might be doing, but we don't really know. I mean, we're gonna not gonna know for another, you know, like if you think about poets who are emerging now, who are in their yeah. you know who are in yeah. their late twenties, early thirties. Those po- we don't know who the the, the poets are going to be. It's going to take us twenty years before we sort of figure out sort everyone out. I'm thinking like awfully of the Hogwarts. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, like and you that. think you know what are what's similar about different things, but it looks different later. Right. And <laughs> so if you so if you think about like things like like if you think about the New York School or the Beats, right, um, and or you think about Black Mountain, you know, uh, you know what is what is Creeley, for example, have to do with Olson? I don't think I don't nothing. Location. Except, yeah, location. <laughs> what was the question? Location, what does Creeley have to do with Olson? Right? Not not location. Yeah. I mean that's one way to you know, or what is the New York like the New York school? Like what is Ashbury what are Ashbury Coke, O'Hara, Schuyler, Barbara Guest? What do they have? Like like they have a, a common love of poetry, but their work is pretty and they different, have a sense yeah. of humor, like breaking <laughs> down, like, you know, going against the academic but I mean, or I think you, you think- could take, you could just pick five poets out of a hat, and if you tried to make a connection between what their work was doing, you probably could. Yeah, you could because we we're all using language. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're we're writing and we're writing we're thinking about verse or something or or non-verse. I mean, but we're we're sort of responding to, like the historical, right? Uh, you know, I mean, thinking about like like you know. Like Joe, you could talk about this the Catullus. I mean, you could say, you know, would Catullus recognize your translations? I think he would. Right? <laughs> no I think idea. He really but... would. I think it, he might say, you know, Martine said to me, "You take a lot of liberties with my work," like, and I was like, "Oh," and he said, "I like that," right? Because you know, he just he thought that I really was. He didn't think I was translating him into. English, he thought I was translating him into Martin Berea Matos, sounding like he should sound in English. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? But it's not really English. It's Martin, you know? And yeah. you talk to Martin for long enough, you go, wow, he doesn't talk like, he doesn't talk Spanish. He doesn't speak Spanish. You know, he speaks Martin, um, which is fun to, 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 to think about. And then what do you do to make Martin sound like Martin? But it, and then it's, and it has to sound like English because otherwise people won't get it. So I just think that yeah, I don't know. I'm gonna send you this little. Um, oh, you you might have heard it. This little message Martine left us on the the walkie-talkie the other day. Oh, the the uh, the happy the, the sort of yeah. I got I got yeah. He, he <laughs> said yeah. He sent me he sent I guess a general thing and then he also sent me sent me and Catherine a, just a, yeah just a separate little thing. And I was awesome. Like, you know, nice but you. it was. Yeah. Queridos amigos, les mando un gran principio de año. Este ha sido un año maravilloso. Así que reciban este Uruguayan Walkie Talkie. Abrazos. Yeah, it's good. In fact, I I got to get back to him. We're in the middle. He and I are, uh, there's so much stuff to do. Of course. <laughs> Always things to do. Yeah, always. always to do. Yeah. But that leads me to another question that I wanted to ask you. Since you've translated people who are who are long gone and have left us, and people who you get to sit in the room with them and and talk to them about it, what's the difference between those two processes? <laughs> <laughs> well, the poets that, that that are dead can't argue with you. 
<laughs> which is, although they, they, they can try, um, Lorca, like Jack Spicer, you're the Jack Spicer thing of he's, he's coming to you. Um, the difference I think is that a really important difference is, for example, so I, I translated the, my three books of translations are Lorca, Inohosa, who's a contemporary of Lorca's, and Jose, and, and, and Jose Marie Inohosa, and, um, and Martin. And the thing about Lorca is, about translating him, is that, you know, everybody has their own Lorca. I mean, yeah. he's the most, he's probably <laughs> the most translated poet in the, in the Spanish, one of the most translated poets in the Spanish language. And so we all kind of have in our heads um, Lorca. And in fact, uh, this academic, Jonathan Mayhew, has written a book called um, Apocryphal Lorca, uh, in which he sort of talks about everyone's, everyone, everyone's Lorca. Hmm. And so translating Lorca was in a certain sense, it was trying to find Lorca for, you know, the 20th, 21st century. Like, how do you do that? And especially our translation of poet in New York, I did it with Pablo Medina was um, a response to a certain extent of, of the, the attacks on, on New York on September 11th, mm -hmm. you know, and it seemed like poet in New York needed to be revised because, around yeah. that tragedy. Right. And then, you know, Hossa, People, you know, no one in no one in the United States really knows who he is because, or knew who he was, because he was um, he was a member of the generation of twenty seven and was rather well known. But then, at a certain point, while everyone else was going left, he went right, and you know, and he was killed because of that. It, well, he actually was killed because of it. Um, he was he was killed. Um, I think it was six days after Garcia Lorca. He was killed by leftists um so i mean he was his poetry doesn't reflect this he was a surrealist yeah you know, and, i mean he's a high surrealist and yet he was he was he was you know and it shows that it's you know that a lot of awful stuff was happening in spain um at the time so so Inojosa is kind of disappeared because franco doesn't need a surrealist i mean he has no interest <laughs> in, in this kind of radical thinking um, and so he disappears till the, you know, till just about the end of the 20th century in Spain where he's recovered. And then I stumbled on his work while Pablo and I were kind of finishing up the work on Poet New York. And translating him was to a certain extent, um, it's still, it was, you know, it was an older Spanish. So, but it was still mm -hmm. a, a known, it wasn't a known voice that his voice wasn't known, but it was a known aesthetic. It was a known, um, it was a known way of writing poetry because we'd, we'd had, you know, 75 years or so to absorb it, mm -hmm. um, in, in, in the language. And so, so translating those guys was to a certain extent was try to, was just try to figure out how to make their voices, you know, sing, um, for the, for a, you know, a, a 21st century reader. I like that. Yeah. Right? Sing for it. Yeah. Uh, that's good. Yeah. And then, and then Berea Matos, you know, Martin is still emerging as a poet. Um, mm -hmm. I say something about this in the, in, in my introduction where he's to the book where he's, you know, he's, he's still like, he's still, I mean, he's a young poet. He's still growing into what he's doing and he's brilliant. Um, and sometimes he doesn't know what he, we would talk about. <laughs> we like last year uh, in 2016 when, when at the Mundial, 
you know, we sat down, I had some questions when we sat down and at one point I said, what, I don't know what you're doing here. Like, I just can't figure it out. <laughs> and, you know, and he looked at, you know, what he said, I don't know what I'm doing either. Which is great. Right. Rather than try to bullshit. Cause I would have figured that part out if he tried to bullshit me, but <laughs> you know, but he just didn't, he couldn't figure that, you know, but, but that's, that was kind of cool. Cause that's what someone who's working in his, you know, he is, he does work in, in a kind of surreal, you know, Atmosphere. weird way. Yeah. A yeah. soup. A soup. Yes. He's, he, <laughs> he, he, as Burroughs would say, unlocks his word hoard. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun having a, a, a living poet, um, to translate because you do get to, um, um, spend time you know, trying to really ask, you know, you just, you just get to ask questions. You get to problem solving is a little different than it is if, if you're, if the poet is dead. I yeah. Mean, when you're stuck, you can call them up and be like, what are yeah, you doing here? Yeah. You know, there was a, we, some of, some of the, the translations, I, I, some, they're not in the, in, in Never Made in America, but they're in this, um, nature writing anthology that Jesse Lee Kirchival, um, edited called Earth, Water, Sky, which Dialogos is, is also published, but it first came out in, um, Argentina, Uruguay, and it was sponsored by SARAS, which is the South American, you know, Institute on, uh, sustainability or something like that. And it's, so it's this environmental poetry and I, and Martin had, I think we had, we had five poems to, to, to put in it. And I was really struggling with translating them. And cause I, I was just, there was just something I, I wasn't getting. And so finally I, I, I wrote to Martin and I said, Martin, I, like, there's something I'm not getting about these poems that you're doing that I'm not seeing. And he wrote back to me and he said, well, you have to understand these poems are written from the point of view of the cow. And I was like, <laughs> Who's going to understand? And of course, it makes sense for Martine. Uruguay is this is this is this you know cattle country, right? That pe- people there eat you know a kilo, right? Two pounds of meat a day. Yeah. So like to them, like this is just totally normal. This is the point of view of a cow. You know? But for me, you know, I was living in Brooklyn at the time. You know, where you know there's like way there's lots of vegans and vegetarians, and and I'm a meat eater. You know, I'm sitting there like I would, but you know, like if I have a you know, a quarter pound of pastrami. I, I feel like I'm in heaven. You know, but these, <laughs> <laughs> which you can't get, by the way, here in southern Mexico. You can't get good pastrami. It's a real no. Yeah, no, no. It's just, yeah. <laughs> oh man, I had this big piece of what they call in Venezuela chorizo, like this chorizo. Oh my god, like this, love it. But it's I, it was like something day chorizo. It was a weird word. I didn't a phrase I didn't know, but it was like five hundred milligrams of like grams. Sorry, of like <laughs> grass fed, right? <laughs> right. You know, beef. And you know, and, and and so you're talking a pound of meat, basically. Yeah, that's what that's what five hundred. That's like you know, it's it's it's, it's a little a over. It's it's over. It's a little over a pound because a, a, a kilo is. 2.2 pounds. I ate about <laughs> two-thirds of it, and then we sent it back to the grill to be re-grilled the raw side. <laughs> what? <laughs> what did they say when you t- when you asked for that? No, they, they thought it was a good idea. Oh. Uh, okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't need you getting sick. 
It was big. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. They they just eat meat there. You know, they Bill do. and I went out. Lavender and I went out like one night for dinner, and we and we decided to share this um, meat dish, and we couldn't finish it. It was like it was it was it was a meat dish for one. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a you just you just basically got all the naughty bits in like one big metal yeah. tray with yeah with a bunch of pokers ah. to go at and dip in yeah ah, it's put great. in other things in bit. bread and. Cheese and sauces. Yeah, that sounds pretty great. One of the things, <laughs> one of the things that's interesting about 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 um, about meat in 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 southern Mexico is that there's very little fat in most of the meat, no fat. and uh, no fat at all. So you're so you feel really okay eating as much meat as you want because <laughs> <laughs> you're just getting the the protein. Yeah, there's a lot of like. It's just, I don't even know. I never, when I had that piece of meat that night, I was just like, <laughs> I've never s- faced that amount of, mo- of human, of like, of, like, you can edit human output. You gotta yeah, go like, to a steakhouse in Chicago, you'll have the same a, experience. Of a oh, yeah. beef. <laughs> I mean, I've eaten some buffalo, you know, in a... In it's almost enough to make you want to be a vegetarian, them. right? Like, you, like, like you just, you sort of, yeah. That meat just, was just huge. It was but was it? Was it? But it was good, right? It was good. It was great. Yeah. And there, there were some special potatoes. And yeah. And there was- yeah. You go into a restaurant in Montevideo and you order a salad, and they throw you out. I mean, <laughs> like, like go go like go someplace. The, for my first yeah. meal there was a salad, but it was a good salad. It was a salad covered in fresh fish. Hmm. Which is which is good there, and it's unusual for people to order it. They must have like figured you for a gringo. It was their no, it was their <laughs> special their day. Wow. We said, "What's your you special?" Found- and they said, "Like whatever fish it was over salad with greens and whatever grains." But it was salad. Green- you know? Wow. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> yeah, man, Mont- Montevideo was a scene. It was just yeah. so fucking cool. <laughs> you know, what was interesting I- about it, and and this gets back is that is that Martin runs that thing, right? And he's got all his help, and he gets all the support from the government. Yeah, right? and from and from private and from private businesses, right? I mean, think about the places that we got to read in some beautiful spaces. Oh, God, yes. Right? Museums um, and cabildos and yeah, fortresses and, 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 and summer they, homes. And we get, we get put up in hotels. You know, last the, the, the first year that I went I down, got put in a this, prison, motherfucker. Well, yeah, well, you, got a pro- you had a problem. Yeah. But <laughs> some of us got put in hotels. The people, the, people, the, the known quantities. <laughs> no, they, you know, they... Um, they the, fir- the first time I went down, they actually, they provided a lunch every day um, for the, all the poets um, at this really, really nice restaurant in the old city. But at the last minute, the people who were going to do that this year, uh, or in 2000, I keep, like it's 2018, in 2017, the last minute told Martin that, that, that they just couldn't pull it off. So so that didn't happen, which was unfortunate. Having the food. But having... 
but he really, you know, he got, he gets all this support, right. For, for doing this stuff and people are willing to do it. They, they think it's a really good idea to have poets from all over the world. Do you think there's a different attitude about poetry there? Is that why all the support or? Yeah, I do. I mean, you know, um, people have made, um, the, the, have pointed out that Uruguay is a, a pretty small country and it has a really great poetry scene. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's not really clear why, although it is, you know, it's, it's, it's an unusual country for South America, even in that it is, a, it has a fairly high standard of living. You know, it's like a hundred percent of the country's got, you know, fresh drinking water. You know, you can actually drink from the, from the faucets yeah, and yeah. wherever you go. Um, education is literacy. It's got a high literacy rate. The healthcare system is great. Educational system is great. They've got a communist, no, I'm sorry, a socialist president. And they have for the last bunch of years, they've come through the time of the generals, which, you know, Martin still remembers some of the, you know, the slightly, the, the kind of like poets in their mid to late thirties, you know, that was, they kind of grew up into that time. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, there's this, this history they, where they came out of a, of, of a time of, of, you know, of dictators, which, you know, the United States is now entering our time <laughs> of dictators. They've emerged from theirs um, and no generals. Well, I think the generals in the United States are protecting. <laughs> protecting the dictator. <laughs> are protecting us from the dictator <laughs> right now. <laughs> but, but, but they, they, yeah, they have, I mean, they, you know, there's this history now, um, the last bunch of years of having a really progressive, you know, country, really progressive political system, really progressive educational system. And, um, and people, res- you know, and, and so poetry just seems to fit in with, with who they are and what they do. And you see this, I mean, it's not, you know, it's, it's not like this is, you know, I, I, you see this in other countries in, in, I mean, in yeah. Mexico, where I now live permanently, you know, poetry is a, a really vital part of the life of of um, of, of the place. It's it's interesting because um, I was at dinner the other night with a guy who runs the English language bookstore down here in Oaxaca, which mm-hmm. is the largest English language bookstore in um, Central and South America and Mexico. Oh, really? Um, so wow. it's, it's, it's big and it's, it's a nice, you know, but he was saying to me, you know, it's really easy because I don't have to, I don't do, I don't bring in, you know, a lot of contemporary stuff because the people who buy from me, you know, they're interested in backlist. They're interested in classics. And he said, yeah, but what's really interesting is that the, when, you know, Mexican, like, you know, young Mexicans, you know, you know, in their teens and early twenties come into the store for English language books, they're buying Whitman, they're buying <laughs> Poe, they're buying Faulkner. They're really interested in Faulkner for some reason, which is hard for me to, I mean, not that I don't love Faulkner, it's hard for me to figure out how, how Faulkner plays. Yeah, it doesn't seem um, as rebellious as the other two. <laughs> no, he doesn't, right? But, no, but, but, but he but plays into the, it as he is a sort of like accessible Southern writer. Even though he's a little bit more more western, midwestern, he's, but he's also yeah, but, kind of mountainous and west and it, yeah, and it's, but it's hard to figure out how they're how they're how they're getting dialogue, um, you know, because I mean, you really have to have a 
sophisticated sense of Eng- the English language. Yeah, that's so, not easy to read in English. No, it's not. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's a little, but at any rate. Um, but, you know, but that's, but it's interesting to think that they're interested in, you know, in Whitman um, and Poe. And there's a fourth writer he brought up who I was happily surprised by and I can't remember. But, but, you know, but, but, but poetry here is, is, is pretty, is pretty vital. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's tons of prizes that are given out by the government. The government does a lot of publishing poetry. It's, 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 it seems a part of, of the fabric of, of the, of of the, of the country um, to write and to be political and, you know, and, and people really respect that. When I tell people, you know, Mexicans down here, when I say I'm a poet, I don't get the same looks that I get in the U S you know, like, <laughs> well, then what's your real job? Yeah, you know, yeah. you know, in fact, no one's ever asked me what my real job was <laughs> or is, was, I should say. Um, well, Mark, did you want to maybe read some poems for us today? Sure. Can I start with um, poems, a poem or two, not by me? Yeah, sure. Just, Absolutely. You Whatever you want to do. <laughs> so, so, so living down here, like, so I'm, I'm working with this, this poet, Efrain Velasco Sosa, who is an amazing poet. He used to run the, the public library, the main public library down here. Um, and so, and he's a real, He's, he's, gosh, he's about, I think he just turned 40, he's 41. Uh, he's, he's just a big force in poetry. And unlike a lot of poets who live in Oaxaca, uh, he's chosen to, to stay in Oaxaca. Most, most of them end up gravitating towards Mexico City because that's where more of the action is. Mm-hmm. Uh, though there is a pretty lively poetry scene here. It's just, it's just that at a certain point, you know, people sort of like think, oh, I, I gotta go. It's like, it's like, it's like thinking that you have to end up in New York. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which you don't, right? Like, you know, if you're smart, you'll stay in New Orleans because, because <laughs> it's really cold in New York right now. I mean, it's like, you know, minus 11 degrees centigrade, which is you know, something like 12 that, degrees Fahrenheit. Whatever, weather bomb. De- Gross. Yeah, a cyclone <laughs> bomb. So, so, so Ephraim was running a, a reading series in which he was um, having Oaxacan poets read in it because he was trying to. He's he's a big promoter of both of poets of his generation, um, and he and I are doing an anthology of of, of, of poets of his generation. Um, we have we're narrowing it down to twenty five poets. Uh, it's really hard because he knows all of them and the ones we're cutting out. He knows them too, and <laughs> and we're we're gonna blame me, right? That's like that's the, the that's the the strategy. It's like if anybody complains, like, oh, it was Mark's decision. He's an asshole. Oh, can I say that on <laughs> your podcast? Oh yeah, just you know whatever. Well, yeah, um, I mean, you think so they're gonna listen to this podcast? No, I just didn't know if 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 um if if, if I could use the word asshole on your podcast. Oh, yeah, we oh all you can say time. whatever you want. We have a okay, NC seventeen rating or some shit. Ephraim was running this this reading series in which um, he would invite these poets, mainly younger poets, and and although some of them are are, are older and, and and have you know one or two books, and one of them was and this is like where it's really interesting about thinking about translating living poets. 
was was this young woman, 25 years old, named Mariana Stefania. And what he would do is is he would, as part of the reading series, he would do a little chat book as for each poet. Um, so that when they read, they would have their chat book and then, you know, then they could give it away or sell it or whatever they would, I think they were giving them away. And, um, so he, so when, so when he and I were beginning to work together, he handed me this chat book by this young woman and I was blown away by them. And so I just started, you know, idly translate. I wrote to her and I said, can I, can I translate? Cause she's, she was in Mexico city at that moment. I said, can I, and then she went to India. I think she may not have gotten back from India yet. That's where her boyfriend was. So I, I said to her, can I translate your poems? I'm kind of known as a translator, blah, blah, blah. And she said, she wrote back and said, well, I need to approve whatever you do because her <laughs> English is okay. And I was like, okay, you know, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> so I, so I, so I translated these poems and, and then, then, then uh, she wrote back to me and she had some complaints. And I wrote back to her and I explained exactly what I had done and why I had done it. And I said, but, you know, you're the boss of your poems. You know, I'll do whatever you want. I'm just telling you why I did what I did and how I did it. And I explained, you know, and she wrote back to me and and she just said, let's do it your way. And I thought, okay, I like that. You know, I always like, (laughs) so then, and then, and then I got a, an email from Jesse Lee Kirchhoff saying, do you have any, do you have any poems by Martine that, cause I'm doing this this thing for Tupelo quarterly. And I said, you know, I have some ones from Martine, but they're not really ready, but I have these other poems by this young walk. And I said, Oh my God, we're doing a, a Tupelo is doing a, a thing on, on women poets and it would be in translation and this would be great. So the interesting thing is That's I think weird. that none, all of the women who are translated are all like older poets and, and, and really known and also they're all translated by women. So I'm the only male translator in this group, which was, if you, it, which was really interesting to have to think about being a male and translating a woman. Yeah. And you, you'll hear this and you'll hear why that's true when I read these, these poems. So I'm going to read two poems by, no, I'm going to read three poems by Mariana Stefania. <laughs> to speak the language of birds, open your body to its center and let light penetrate. Write the poem within into flesh. Paint blue your entrails, mix your blood, sew up your mouth, give yourself a beak like a bird, pull out your eyes, hammer small mirrors into your heart. Spell. Before the seizure, the wound, plant your left eye in the center of your chest. Let it become stone, fire, explosion. Carry in your body the house in ruins. Open the earth, plant something not born dead. What grows in the earth of the graveyard? From one side of my body, nothing has flowered for a very long time. I throw seeds, and in you they don't grow. Is it that here no one will forget anything? The spear piercing the iris marks a new beginning. Always plant in silence. Any other way, snakes appear. Nictimene. Now I know nothing of myself. Not even my name brings me news of me. No nocturnal messenger will break this sky. Repeat my name a hundred times. Only your voice could birth this body. Wow, those are really great. (laughs) Yeah, I write poetry too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, those were fantastic. I really like that 
The first one, that language of birds one. Yeah, yeah. It's it was it was interesting just to sort of like think about because she's her poems are so physically connected to the body. Yeah, it was really interesting to have to think clearly about you know the difference. You know, like and obviously one does this, but like in thinking about her poetry to sort of think about what she meant by her body that was different from how I would think about my own body. Right. And yeah, that is, you know, what it, <laughs> cause mine is different from her. <laughs> I would <imagine>. older. <laughs> <laughs> so what, so, what like did that change how you were approaching something as you were doing it? Or, I mean, is, or is it just more like a general feeling or were there specific things? That it was a general, like, so it was, it was a general feeling because, um, because I, because the there's a kind of sense of 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 opening and wounding right mm-hmm. and that you know and the body as a as a place on which the what's the best way to put it i don't want to say like the 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 body is a space in which the there's both wound and the the poem is being written into the wound yeah if that makes sense and to know that um I don't think that a. I don't think that most male poets that I know, you know, or that I, I'm, whose work I'm that familiar with, write in such a like th- that the body is so has that kind of wounded intimacy. Yeah, if that makes sense. Um, you know, and we see that. You know, you see that in, you know, in certain of the like the early great feminist writers. Right, you know, you see in someone like, well, Adrian Rich to start, oh, you sure, know, for sure. or you know, or, or or June Jordan writes into, or Audrey Lord, you know, who's a little who's a little later. Um, but there's a sort of right, like like the body as a space on which from which the poem emerges and the, and, and on which the poem is written, which which is just different. I mean, I at least it's different from my own way even of thinking about. About the, the physicality of the body. Yeah, I don't know if that if that if that's if that's clear. But it was very like I had to sort of like stop and, and step back and and I wrote to her and I said, you know, I need to understand. Like, and so there were you know some of the questions I, I you know I don't want to go into them because I don't think that they're you know that some of them are a little more personal than they should have been, but I needed to ask her some questions and yeah. you know, about what, like what this, like, what is this in the spell? You know, where are we thinking, you know, where are you? And she was, you know, she was really good. I mean, she's writing these poems. So obviously she's willing to put something out there. Right. So, so that was interesting. Um, yeah, that's wonderful. I mean, you know, I think that like, like if I think about a, just thinking about I'm thinking about my own poetry, right? And and the ways in which you know in which these kinds of things emerge for me is in um I'm actually I'm opening up one of my own books now and um is is that there's that everything moves out without 
being within. If that's here, mm-hmm. I'll read this poem that that's that's um right. I mean the the way that the, the physicality of of Mariana's poem almost makes me feel like this poem, which I don't think is um like like intellectualizing the situation. It almost makes me feel like I'm doing <laughs> that. It's fevered dreams. This is from that train again. Um fevered dreams. It's wash day. Everyone is naked. It's moving day. There are boxes full of boxes and lamps. Full, full. It's sleep day. Everyone sleeps except me because the lawn is covered with baskets full of bread. My grandfather is here. My grandfather, the baker, alive, driving up in his black convertible, a shining Buick Electric 225. He falls asleep on the bed in the den. The moving men pack him away. They have no eyes. Can't see. I can. I can. I am waiting for this to end. When I wake, roll over, fall asleep again. The dream doesn't continue. It starts again. My grandfather arrives in his new old car. The sightless men pack him. <laughs> I mean, that feels like it goes... It's, it, it feels internal and external, but the external is, is holding on. Yeah, well, and the external dominates it, right? Where in her poems, even the external things almost seem like a projection out of the speaker. Right, right. So that... Yeah, yeah, it's 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 as though the the the, the poem starts in the body, moves out, but the moving out is a way to return to the body, as opposed to, um, as opposed to stopping. Yeah, huh. that is interesting to think about. But I guess there's all kinds of levels of how how that works for different poets, but yeah. (laughs) That is interesting, though. I'll read, I'll read one or two more poems from that train again, which is the most, my most recent book of poems. Okay. Came out in 2015. Um, Erased from Dreams. Quickness moving into the sleepiness of a tree-ridden day, tranquil island, tranquil sea, tranquil stalks of summer and spring flowers, now quiet in this late fall, early winter. It's that cold. The day is wrong for this, where November sits before December, clings to itself, but we all know what's coming. Not ambiguity, not ambivalence, certainty, the graceful stage that knowing allows, in sleep arrived, in waking arrived, or fled if we like, wanting like, wanting to hear the real echoes, breaking into the moment, uncaring. We flip scarves over shoulders, around our necks, so the wind blowing cold, to no effect, blows away. Walk like that down Avenue Street, Boulevard, reminded, here is a place of erasure, meaning space left for the future, of the past. Whatever echoes from its mountains and skyscrapers, that's what we have down on sidewalk, streets, November. Hmm. The pages are turning. Pages are turning. <clears throat> wow, yeah, I'm turning pages. Lost poems. Lost poems. 
Jacob wrestled with something all night, an angel or God or himself, neither winning nor losing. He's renamed Israel, still called Jacob, who is the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham in prayers. As Jacob, he wants out or back into a world of his brother, of his father, of his mother. We are all tricked to deceive the loved, all wanting, waiting, as Jacob is on the same roads, in the same cities, an ever-present stranger, helpless and demanding answers. Nice, nice. That's that's more. Those are from the most recent book you published. This is from the book that in the, that came out in 2015. Yeah, that train again. Great. It's full of it's 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 a very Brooklyn book in a lot of ways, but but then it's also something else. <laughs> roses, always everywhere in markets, flower shops, on the street, the table, the roses Catherine brought, bought for my birthday. In poetry, Rilke. In gardens, the stoop. In paintings, Monet. Roses red. In the wa- wild, pink. In the color, rose. The, the color so close to the rose in the wild. Mm. So, I'm going to do something I almost never do, but it's, it's um, like so. I'm, I'm working on this new book that's going to come out in April. 2019 and usually when i publish a book um the poems in it like i've been working on for two three four five six years yeah right because because i believe in revision i believe that the poem should stand the test of time like i should believe in it like i should believe in it five years later not you know not just as you know you know, in the, in the sort of like that first, you know, Oh, I love this poem. I just wrote it. It's so good. But do I still feel that way? Do I still have that love of it? Yeah. Later through revision, (laughs) you know, five years later. And if it does that, I'm really happy and I'll, and I'll, then I'll say, okay, so this can go in a book. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the truth of my translations as well. Like I, they really need to go for a while for me to really believe in them. Um, and, but, I feel like since moving to Mexico in September of 2016, I think my work is like, there's been this sort of shift. Um, and I don't want to say change because that sounds really dramatic, but there's been this sort of like major move in, 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 in how I'm writing into the world and think and seeing the world. And, and partly it's, it's, um, it's, it's living, you know, it's living in a new place that's dramatically different from Brooklyn. Yeah. Though Oaxaca is a lot like Brooklyn in a lot of ways, um, believe it or not. One day I'll talk about that. But, but, and it's also that most of my time in Mexico, I speak and read in Spanish. Oh, yeah. Right? Um, and so, which is really weird, right? Because it, like, like, it's not just newspaper, like the books I'm reading, the poetry I'm reading. Mainly, I'm reading in, in in Spanish, and and talking to people. We talk in Spanish. Um, even I was at lunch the other day, and you know, with three people who who spoke English. One person spoke Spanish, and because the one person who spoke Spanish didn't speak English, most of the conversation at lunch, in fact, I would say ninety five percent of it was in Spanish, right? Which was, you know, just like it was out of just being polite to the, the fourth person at lunch. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so what that's done is it's made me realize like English has sort of like become this sort of 
glowing like it, it, it all of a sudden I'm, I'm like the words are taking on new significance because when I speak in English, it's like, wow, this is so interesting. It's re exoticizing <laughs> English for you. Yeah, like blue suddenly really is a color and not just a word, right? Or rabbit is, you know, this thing that scampering across the yard. It's what Gary Snyder in his, in this one wonderful essay that in this, book I edited with Christian McEwen called um, The Alphabet of the Trees, which is it's an anthology of nature writing. We have a, an essay by Gary Snyder in it called Language Goes Both Ways. And he talks in it about like the idea that if you say the word hawk and you don't see the hawk and feel the hawk and aren't the hawk yourself, then you don't quite get the word. Yeah. <laughs> you haven't, you know, it's not there yet for you. You know, it's just, a, it's, it's just, it's just four letters. Right. And so, and so that's like starting to happen for me a lot. And, and, and so, and so I'm very confused about what I'm doing. Cause that, so the poems that are going to appear in this, this new book are primarily all, if not all, and I'm still like in the very early stages of choosing and revising, but they're all, most of them, if not all will have been written in the last year and a quarter. Right or a third or whatever oh, wow. it is. I've been here, so it's really scary because I've never <laughs> done this before. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read from a, a series of poems that I that and, and that are in my notebook. So this is just going to be coming out of a notebook, um, and it'll give you and maybe we'll that's where I'll where I'll stop reading poems and is um and and um but it's it just will give you a sense they're all um they're all sort of like right in a row. And I, I, and some of them might end up, I don't know if all, any of them are going to end up in this book, but it, it'll give you a, a sort of sense of what I'm, of where things feel. All right, great. Um, by air sustained, by prayer, by the river, by sleep, by the night, by insect flight, by bees and moths, yellow into the sun, the sunflowers and the trees and the river. Does it always come back to the river? That's where our water comes from. Does it always come back to the air? That's where our, where we and our. I'm not crazy about that. I just opened the note, notebook arbitrarily, so I don't really know what I'm going to read. To come to see, which alone is freedom, which is prison, which history is the future, which the prison, you take those words, they own you, you own them, you say, where is the dust, where is the water or the mezcal, the insects, you'll eat and think this is good, this is the way I wanted to live and hear. Recant. I don't know if the stories anymore are the stories I need to hold that were how I thought I would live, that were how I thought the world would hold, would care, protect, that were how I believed I'd look up at the sky. I used to see everything I ever thought I'd need. Wanting a meaning. For the things that have meaning, dust, music, poetry, or to know what I want to say, I have to say. You above and beyond the prayer of life, life offers us one thing after another, and we try, and understanding is such a funny thing. I kind of like that. Mm. Take the ribbon. The streets are filled with ribbons, with streamers, red, green, white, tricolor, and flags. The eagle crashes, the serpent, the eagle devours the dream, the world liberated by something other than humanity, liberated by something great, greater. Were you the one last night, were you, that's the title, the one last night singing the visionary company of voices in heaven, 
would then by you, Christ, what does that say? Were you the one last night singing the visionary company of voices and heavens moved then by human singing? Inaction, language. My words will come to be to me a mystery or desire. Okay, go with desire like the desire of the body for the body and the place for the place we can stretch and ourselves stretch out our arms to the space, to the sky, the places we've thought there's the place to go to the other side of the water, sea, rivers, air. You can dream, can you, can and go and go and go. This time of day. What's the name of the train or bus you'll catch? Maybe it is something you'll recognize from a movie or a song, something no one else makes or sings except to make a memory present. I was the person who said, let's not forget who we are, who we've been. Let's not forget the way when you put your hand in mine, you took my hand, I took your hand, we fell in love. We're, we're good. And we're here in front of and next to and later and then and here comes the coffee, here comes the tea, here the gas truck, here the tortilla ladies. Do we want blandas? Do we want tostadas or tlayudas? And then comes a woman, she's selling chapolinis. She looks, I look, what is it? Her eyes, we fall, we fall, we fall in life believing. I read two more from this. The twist of fate. The air is full. Okay, this is another ribbons poem. This must have been around the time of Mexican Independence Day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. Okay. <laughs> the twist of fate. The air is full of ribbons, the colors of Mexico and Italy, and nowhere is the USA. And I don't mind. I'm in the middle of a different story. It's the one where the ribbons come down, the stars come down. The story is full of blessings. We are the blessed and the air so full of songs. Who? You see on the street, the cuidado you might not know, the men playing the harmonica, the, the men playing the harmonies. Oh, I got to start this again. Who? You, this is like, cause I can't even read my own handwriting. <laughs> Who you see on the street, the ten cuidado. Ah, yeah, ten cuidado, which means, you know, be careful. You, who you see on the street, ten cuidado. You might not know the men playing the harmonies, the accordion, but that little girl, she holds out a bowl. She asks for money. She is already a beauty. Okay. I like those. Wow, that's a nice sequence. Yeah, they, I they, saw it. I really just like closed my vision and just let the images wash over me. Thank you. They're still rough, right? I mean, I'm not sure. They're still they still feel rough to me. Like even as I was reading them, I I thought, oh wait, <laughs> I've got to revise that right now. <laughs> They're gonna be hard but, to revise though, because part of what's nice of them is the immediacy of it. Yeah. Well, that's the challenge, right? To keep them immediate, even even as you even as you polish do. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, that's that's the like to sort of make it feel as if you just like to give it a feeling that you just wrote it, even though it it's gone through all this, you know, <laughs> yeah, this polishing. I mean, that's the difference between like being an artist and and just finding stuff. No, that's true. Right? You know. (laughs) Because, I mean, you know, Allen Ginsberg, I loved Allen, and um, he was a, I mean, you know, I I remember when he died, like, I'd never lived in a world as a poet that hadn't had Allen Ginsberg in it. 
right? Mm-hmm. And and it was so hard to understand that world, right? Because even though Alan hadn't been writing very good poetry for a while, he was still Alan, yeah. right? And mm-hmm. in fact, I remember when he died and he was on the cover of the New York Times, the front page of the New York Times, and my son, who was, I don't know, like four years old at the time, and he had met Alan um, once at, um, maybe more than once, but he had met him at a reading, and, and Alan had said, oh, what a beautiful little boy. <laughs> and I was like, Alan? <laughs> you know, there's Alan who's a member of NAMBLA. I was like, stay away from my son. <laughs> I was like, this is like this toddler, right? But Jesse, but Jesse saw this photo of Alan and, and he, on the front page of the Times, and he said, you know, why is he there? And I said, and I explained, you know, that he had died. And this is like, and, and Jesse said, he said, well, I'm sorry I won't get to see him again. Uh, oh my God, that's how everyone's feeling. Like, like that's the problem. It's not that Alan's dead. Yeah. We just won't get to see him again, you know. But Alan, when he, Alan said first thought, best thought, um, he ruined a generation of poets. Because even Alan didn't. Well, but that, that. But whenever people say things like that, that's the problem. They don't mean it in this extreme right. way, but that's how people take it. Right. I mean, if you think about it, if you think about it, even if you read um, Howl, right, which if you read it and you, and you look at it in the, in the, you know, the, the collected or whatever it is, it says, you know, something like, you know, 1955 to 56, yeah. right? Like, like <laughs> it says right there, it took me two years to write it. And you don't get that line where he goes, boxcars, 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 right? The sound of the boxcars, yeah. you know, the trains going over the tracks reflected in that repetition of, you don't do that by now, but it sounds so, so like, like he just blurted it out. Like it just, like it started from, I've seen the best minds of my generation and it just, you know, and it just goes to the end and you think, oh my God, like it, it sounds like the first thought. And then you read it really carefully and you realize, no, no, uh, no, no. This is like, <laughs> this is a crap. This is yeah. someone who knows yeah. what he's doing and, <laughs> and is revising and, you know, so that phony thing of, 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 you know, not revising, but you make it seem like it's an unrevised poem. That's the, no, that's the true. Rule. Well, you know, pound may Elliot's wasteland what it is exactly exactly right what did what did pound what did elliot say el miglior fabro fabro right to the to the better maker right (laughs) he dedicates it to pound in that way yeah so so it's like yeah i mean yeah i don't any any you know when i when i would teach in my my students would, you know, and I would make all these suggestions and they'd say, you know, but I feel like it's sucking the life out of it. I said, that's the point is to not suck the life out of <laughs> yeah. it. It's to make sure that it, that it still lives. But how do you make sure that it lives beyond your first love of it? Right? No, that's true. That's, <laughs> that's good advice, well, like, but that's hard. Well, it's, well, <laughs> when, when, when the students say, I would say to them, you know, you know you're not going to lose the poem. It's not like a painting where if you, if you change it, you can't go back. You still have the original copy. Yeah. So if you, I said, you know, if you try, what does it hurt you to try? It's sort of like saying to someone, <laughs> you know, like you give them like three flavors of ice cream and you say, which, which flavor do you prefer? A, B, or C? And you give them a taste of A and you give them a taste of B. And, <laughs> and then you say, okay, so you, do you prefer A, B, or C? And they say, well, I haven't tried C yet. Oh, so you don't know if, it's, if you like C better because you haven't tried it yet. How do you know your poem is better 
isn't it won't get better if you don't try you can always go back right if you wrote wrote the word blue and you want to change it to to white but you but and then it turns out that blue was a better word that second blue is a better blue because it's gone through it's not the same as the first blue because the first blue was compared to white white lost blue won <laughs> and now blue is staying yeah you know so that's the stupidest thing I could ever have said. No, but it's not. Well, no, it makes sense. No, to me. I mean, you just, how do you know your poem is as good as it can be if you don't try and make it something else? And then you realize, well, you know, it is better with revision, or it's not as good with revision, but now I know. Right? Yeah. I mean, I think it is tricky, though, because I do think some people don't know. Right? And then they end up. Some people do suck the life out of their poem with revision, but I don't think that has anything to do with the revision. It just has to do with... Well, as my favorite Saturday morning <laughs> cartoon too would say, <laughs> now you know and knowings have the bell. <laughs> <laughs> or as we're, Catherine and I often will um, when well, it's got nothing to do with <laughs> where, where you're going but as soon as you said that i went i flashed on on something else but i i do want to i was i was at a i was um this is something this, this is something that joe given said when when you said um when you said um the like like i was I, I was on this little thread this translate literary translators thread on facebook last week or something and and someone said something about like he wrote you know you know poetry he said poetry can't be translated I thought that's one of the stupidest things I've ever read. You know, that like <laughs> thought that poetry can't be translated. And I said, and I and I and I and, and I said, you know, of course poetry can. If a poem sings in one language, it can sing in another language. That's like that'll that will happen. I said, but 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 not if it's a bad translator. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah, bad translator is <laughs> going to tra- translate a poem badly. Like it doesn't make it. It's got nothing to do with the original. It's got, and certainly it's got nothing to do with the translation. It's got to do with the translator, because lots of poems have been translated translated brilliantly, and sometimes the translations are almost better than the originals. Um, in in certain yeah, that can certainly and, happen. And poetry <laughs> and rock music. Yeah, so, yeah, that is good. Like music's like that, right? You can have covers that are better than the originals, for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> One of my favorite things is from Grover, from Sesame Street, mm-hmm. who was once, you know, sort of like dealing with the fact that he wasn't getting anything. You know, he was sort of, he was a waiter in a restaurant, and he couldn't get the order correct, and he was always interrupting the 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 delivery of the meal to 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 stop and sing. Um, you know, uh, flamenco or something like this is crazy, great Sesame street thing. And, um, and finally the customer says, I'm out of, you know, he says, you know, what makes you think that, that you're ever going to give me my meal? And Grover says, where there is life, there is hope. (laughs) (laughs) And anytime, like, I'm really like, you know, like, Oh God, stuff is not working. This isn't going well. You know, it's whether it's in writing or it's like driving in Mexico, you know, because none of the signs are pointing in the right direction. And like, no one knows where anything is. And every street name changes like the next boulevard or Avenue or whatever. And it's like, Oh, it's like, you know, two things, you know, where there is life, there is hope. And as long as 
and you're never lost as long as there's gas in the car. Those two <laughs> things. So that's you know that's a that's a a kind of um, of, uh, of of I think. Um, and as we're talking, speaking of where there's life, there's hope. Someone just rang our doorbell, send, selling Jesus calendars. Um, <laughs> wow, that's that's like your uh, Percy Shelley like Kublai Khan moment. <laughs> exactly. I, I'll start here's this, you know, trying to explain what it's like to be like the I'm Jewish, right? And so like you're, you're what <laughs> in this Catholic country? You know, it's like you're. No, what we, you know? They they they, they don't get it. Um, <laughs> no one's even asked me about my horns. It's 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 that far away. Um, <laughs> yeah, my friend from Brooklyn or from New York, not from Brooklyn, but from New York. He says, he says, when I'm in New York, I'm a Jew. When I'm in New Orleans, I'm a white dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm definitely I'm a I'm a gringo. Um, even harder to explain. My wife is a Quaker, and um, they like that. Would like that one flies even further away because <laughs> they get like to a certain thing. You say, yeah, Jews, the Old Testament, you know, you know, you get that, and like, oh yeah, that, that's but like Quaker, what the, you know. <laughs> I actually said to, I was trying to explain the, to to some folks, and I said, you know, Benjamin Franklin, and it's like, and this shows you how, you know, provincial we folks in the United States are like. Who? It's like you know who Benjamin Franklin is, and I was telling my mother about this, and she said, "I can't believe they don't know who Benjamin Franklin is." And I said, "Mom, do you know who Benito Juarez is?" And she said, "No." I said, "Well, he's a president of, you know, the first indigenous president of Mexico. In fact, I think maybe the only indigenous president ever of Mexico." <laughs> so, you know, living outside the U.S., you learn a lot about your country. Yeah, well, well, Mark, that has been fantastic. Yeah, thank Uh, you for this. Has been fun. (laughs) I get to speak in English for like an hour and a half. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and not to my wife. (laughs) Yes. No, it's been great, man. It's been what a great, uh, so much imagery and great poetry and. Uh, lots of uh, travel log and stories and conversations you've had. Thanks for sharing all that with us. And there's so much. Well, thanks for yeah. thanks for giving me the chance. I really appreciate it. So I, I'm going to see you guys in uh, in April. No, you're going to be. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, I'll be there. Yeah, Pablo Medina and I um, are doing. It's it's the 10th anniversary of the publication of Poet New York. Cool. And so we're going to do a, we're going to do a panel on. Or a little, we're going to do, it's just going to be a conversation on Poet New York 10 years later. Yeah, I read your proposal. Like, you, you did? Yeah. Oh, you are, are you on, and, and Bill, and Bill's going to, uh, and Bill's going to be uh, the moderator. So, cool. Bill Lavender. So, we're going to have a, you know, yeah, a awesome. pretty lively, I think we're going to have a good time doing that. Great. And then I think so, too. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Well, good. Uh, oh, yeah. All right, guys. Well, cool. All right, yeah. yeah thanks, thanks a lot, lot for really. for this and stay in touch and miss you. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Abrazos, guys. Take Peace. care. Adios. Ciao.